0: Edinburgh. But right now on the line from beautiful Ōtepoote, is in Dunedin, I've got Nikki Hager. Good morning, Nikki. Good morning. How are we today?
1: Very well, thank you. Uh,
0: thank, you. thank you for uh, being on the show this morning. Uh, of course, you are New Zealand's foremost uh, investigative journalist, uh, well, at least in my mind. Uh, you've written seven books, I think, since 1996, including um, The Secret Power. I think that one contained uh, stuff about my great uncle, Ray Parker. Um, we've got seeds really of... Dis- <laughs> Seeds of Distrust, Uh, The Hollow Men, and of course now um, hit and run the New Zealand SAS in Afghanistan and The Meaning of Honour, and that's what brings you down to Dunedin this time. Uh, That was, of course, uh, co-authored with um, freelance war correspondent John Stevenson. Um, Now, I guess, uh, start at the start, how did you get involved in the story? Uh, Now, this
1: story, normally when I work on subjects I think that someone needs to do them and I start to look for sources and I start to read about it. But this one came into my life in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. I'd heard about there being a dodgy, guilty thing that had gone on in Afghanistan and I put it into a big book I wrote about Afghanistan a few years ago called Other People's Wars. But, yeah. but then I forgot about it again until a couple of years ago when someone approached me with really out of the blue, and normally when people approach me it's not it's not particularly interesting but this was something <laughs> that they had had uh, something burning on their conscience for years and had finally forced themselves to come and see someone about it Yeah, and this was one of the people who had been involved in the raids in Afghanistan and yeah. had been, knew about the, the dead, dead and injured children and things and couldn't get their mind at rest about it and just had to talk about it so that's, that's where it began for me with somebody who, who really wanted the story told who on the first um First few hours of talking had told me about this thing called Operation Burnham and when it was and where it was and a whole lot of other details. and I realised that I was on this was something really big that this was going to change my next couple of years of my life.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and that's right. This wasn't just a flash in the pan thing that you looked at a couple of uh, events and then just wrote about them. This was proper investigative journalism. You went deep and you, you got to the bottom of the story, right?
1: That's right, because what happened. Basically, what we're writing about is stuff which has been, <laughs> which, which the people on the inside completely know about, yep. but they have hidden it and denied it. Which means that just coming out and saying it's going to get you nowhere. Someone, someone fears that something bad happened along their way, because no one's going. If they're going to deny it, the public is not going to know who's telling the truth. That's not going to make any progress. So the only way to do this is that long, hard route that John and I took, which was to, to find more sources to. War over maps to him to go on the ground in Afghanistan, for us to gradually piece together the whole thing, so that while they, while they still deny the effect now, any reasonable person who reads chapter after chapter of the book and sees the detail knows that we're completely right, which means that it can't be swept under the carpet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, and you could have put it in essay form. You could have written uh, continuously for a newspaper, but th- that also can drop out of of the, the psyche of the nation at the time. And I think re- releasing it in book form um, is definitely the way to go.
1: Yeah, books books are an amazing thing. They are just words like a newspaper article or something, mm-hmm. but they, be, they they become a fact in the world. They're yep. these things, and you can't control them. You know, people are reading them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, can uh, I mean, we, we we all know, but can you give us a quick breakdown of the events, like leading up to, because of course there was the death of a New Zealand soldier. Uh, so leading up to the raids, and, and then the raids themselves.
1: Yeah, gladly. So because obviously most people haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. So, so this is this is what the story is. New Zealand has been in Afghanistan for several years. We've chosen a part of Afghanistan called Bamiyan or our government had chosen it, which was a really safe area, which was a wise decision compared to the bloody parts of that country. Mm -hmm. No one had died in combat until August 2010. And up until then we'd said that we're the really nice guys, we helped them, we helped reconstruct their country, we have have empathy for the locals, etc., etc. But when the first New Zealander died, everything changed.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, there was this vigorous hunt the people who they thought were responsible, which they were right about. We, we, our own forces separately tell us that they'd identified the right people who'd done it. And then there was this, yes, preparation over just a couple of weeks to get all the SAS members in Afghanistan ready for a great big raid to get the insurgents. And they, them, they borrowed helicopter gunships for it and drones and surveillance aircraft and things for this great big operation they were doing. And the only thing wrong with it was that they had mucked it up, that they they talked themselves into believing that they would find these people in these two isolated Afghan villages where, in fact, what always happens in Afghanistan is that the insurgents who know they're going to get retaliated against don't hide in the high mountains. Mm -hmm. So so when the great, the biggest New Zealand raid in the whole of our time in Afghanistan happened against these two little villages, the insurgents were hiding up in tents or somewhere in the high, high mountains and the village was full of children and their parents and their grandparents and things. And so this terrible catastrophe was getting ready to happen where lots of children were shot up and, you know, like injured, one was killed, quite a lot of other people were killed. Lots of, most, most of the injured were women and children.
0: Mm-hmm, hmm I mean... Um, oh, sorry, go yeah. on.
1: You know, I was going to say, and there was this kind of a sense of rage which they're not prepared to admit was driving it. Yeah, yeah. They blew up and burnt down houses as well, and then they did the thing which was an utter crime in New Zealand military and shows that this wasn't normal, which was that nobody tried to help the wounded like uh, our, our law says our, and our code of conduct, the military says friend or foe, you will aid the, aid the wounded mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I but mean turned on their heels and flew away at the end of
0: it I mean Geneva says that, right? The Geneva Convention
1: This is about international law, that's right, this is yeah. really serious
0: So I mean, you go and you help the wounded, that, that's the whole point um, you know and there are, there are SAS these are elite um, troops you know I mean they're trained for years you know they're getting um, Victoria crosses I mean one of their major roles must be identification I mean they've got all the thing. you said they've got drones they've got helicopters they've got um, scopes they've got all all kinds of things to identify um, people with so I mean were they, was it just a case of tunnel vision for them? You know, Like you said, the rage. They've identified a target. We're not going to stop. We're, we're just focusing on this.
1: That's right. So let's be really clear. We're definitely not suggesting, no one is suggesting, that the SAS went there and deliberately shot at children and things. Of course, they'd never do that. They're New Zealanders, they'd never do that. Mm-hmm. But, but their rules, they had just had new rules issued by the head military, with military guy who was in charge of them. The U.S. military commander, and it said, unless you can basically guarantee that they're not civilians, don't go ahead with firing. Mm-hmm. There's been so many things going wrong in Afghanistan that was basically losing the war for them because there was so often the U.S. troops were so often shooting up innocent people that they had this law that said, unless you are absolutely certain that they're that they're not civilians, just don't pull the trigger. So they they all knew this. They totally knew it, but but. The people on the raid, these are the people who were we, first person I met as I talked about and then other ones who helped us, they said nothing was normal about this raid, It mm-hmm. was a different mood there and that's, that seems to be why it was a catastrophe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, we know there were raids. I mean, they've they've said there were raids. The Defence Minister has even come out, I mean, so it's not the Defence Minister, but the, the Chief of New Zealand Defence Force has even come out and said, acknowledged that there could have been some civilian casualties, but none have been confirmed. And so the government now says we're not going to have an inquiry, but isn't that the point of an inquiry, to confirm whether or not there were these? We can't acknowledge that there may have been. This is our defence force. A may have is not good enough.
1: That's what I would say but first of all as we explain in the book, they know it was very intense mm-hmm. what ma- what may have or could have been means is everybody go back to sleep don't pay to much attention to this because you know it's all fuzzy and we don't really know. within hours there were New Zealand defense Force intelligence reports, saying that they had killed civilians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I know that. I know that from people who read them and have described them to me and told me what the headings are and things. I'm absolutely certain about this. So there's no could have about it. Yeah. They, they know the whole thing, of they, do. they were in charge of the place. They yeah. know everything. It's all in the SAS secret file room. So, so it brings us to the question, why haven't they Yeah. just had an inquiry? Like, this is what we do. In fact, it's almost like a joke. Something bad happens. you know, that you know, half the hospital burns down or half the people in the hospital get a bad disease, um, what does the government do? It calls an inquiry. Yes. And it's such an easy thing for governments to do and then it kind of takes the heat out of it and eventually you get some conclusions and hopefully something useful happens. So why wouldn't they do that this time? when it's obviously a very controversial thing. No one's questioning that. They're not saying it doesn't matter and no one cares. Why didn't they just call an inquiry? And the reason for that is because... They don't want an inquiry because what an inquiry will show is that more or less completely we're not perfect but more or less completely what we've written down done is true. Yeah. And so if they have an inquiry, they have to confirm that. So this is the different situation of where not where they're wondering what happened, but where they're desperately trying to keep the lid on what happened.
0: Is it you know, this is election year. You know, are they scared of maybe this will affect the outcome of the next election perhaps?
1: I don't think, I personally don't think it will do that, but if they'd wanted to, to clean it, if actually, if they'd wanted it to get over what well, they would have and not be an election issue, which is fine with me, I think it's a bit more, bigger than an election. Yes, definitely. But if they wanted that, they could have just had to call that inquiry. It could have just been an the inquiry. They could have got rid of it that way. Yeah. What they've actually done is they've kind of turned the heat up on it by denying it most of it. Yeah, right.
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, no,
1: so I think I was... that politically so from a political point of view like from say from bill English's point of view the best thing would have been an inquiry you know i wasn't the leader at the time i didn't make these decisions it was my predecessor who ordered this and so let's have an inquiry and you know i'm not sure i'm sure the troops acted well but let's at least have an inquiry to clear this up that would be easy for bill english the mm-hmm. reason why it didn't happen is that the sas put such pressure on to stop themselves being out.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, why, you know, we haven't called an inquiry. What's going to stop the international community doing so? And and if that happens, um, you know, they're going to look on us and say, you didn't call an inquiry, you should have done that, and that's going to put us even deeper in the do- the poo. Yeah,
1: well, yes, you're right, particularly because international law requires you to have an independent inquiry when these kind of things happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so every, every I mean, when I said that the... the the ordinary soldiers involved this were saying everything was different about this one Well, everything seems to be different about the reaction as well which means it's kind of got this explosive quality to it and it's not going to go away is what I think could be wrong but that's what I think
0: could they be hiding something even bigger
1: well as people are not sure about I mean they just don't want to own up but as as people know from all sorts of politics sometimes the cover up is worse than the action yeah Just make it worse. And, now, and, and because it's all come out in the open in the book, it means that people like Bill English are now having to join a cover up rather than what he could have done, which is to say, I didn't know, let's look into it.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the Defence Forces come out and said, um, you, know, this, you know, you've got the villagers wrong. Um, you know, if civilians were killed, they're most likely killed by US helicopters, therefore it's not on us. What do you say to that?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing is, they've got the villagers wrong. They're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we, we had the right villages. We totally have the right villagers. We know their names. They're called Nayak and Kastri-de-Dad. Yeah. Um, we know where, we know who was where outside their houses when they were shot or, or injured or something. We've got all, all of this absolutely right. But the Defence Force were very pleased to find that the, that the locals had given us slightly wrong long locations for where the two villages were. This is a ma- mountain country where there aren't any roads yeah. there aren't any maps. And so we, we got that slightly wrong and we immediately fronted up on that because we were actually did have it slightly wrong. But everything else in the book is right. Yeah. Um, so, so we just had to wear that but actually it made no difference at all to the story. That just became a bit of a diversion.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, what about the talk of, of, you know, the U.S. helicopters? And, you know, if civilians were killed by the U.S. helicopters, uh, that's not on us. I mean, weren't we in charge of the raid? Didn't we have complete yes. command?
1: That's right. So, so this one person was dropped by the SAS directly, and they were burning down the houses and blowing up things. This is our SAS. But, yes, the most injury happened because they used helicopter gunships, which are just kind of like these um, Star Wars things with incredible weaponry on them, Mm -hmm. which can blast the whole hillside in a second, and they were using those in a civilian area, but you're right, what is absolutely clear is that they were under the command of New Zealand officers, and they never pulled the trigger, because this is their their rules of engagement, as they call it, they don't pull the trigger without having had it cleared by the New Zealand commanders. So this is is actually a really weird part, because you... You would think that the military would be really big on, and really straightforward on, who's in charge here? There's yep. a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Who's the boss. We're running this. We were the commanders. We made the decisions. We got collected the intelligence. We ordered them off. We did the whole plan. So, and for people like that to say, well, to hint that, oh, it wasn't us, it was someone else, is, again, really unusual. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm trusting we'll get to the bottom of it yet. i
0: mm-hmm. Well you know what they say about military operations they're precise, they're pinpoint they're accurate, that's the whole mantra of, of, of a military operation right?
1: Yeah, well actually to be fair they also talk about the fog of war which is probably mm. more accurate which is that when things are going on it's really easy to stuff up you know bullets and bombs blowing up and stuff but the point is they were acting underneath they knew that they were acting in civilian villages where at the very most there was a tiny number of that stopped the night or something.
0: Mm-hmm. They were
1: rolling out as it happened. And their orders said, unless you are certain that there are no civilians present, there will be no fires. That means no firing of the guns. Yeah. And and they didn't follow it. And so they have complete responsibility for this. And I'm not saying for a second that I think that I want or I think that some, some individual soldiers should be blamed because they were obeying orders that stuff happened on the site. But I do think that as a country, and as a government, and as the you know the SAS itself, if they can't take responsibility for this, why should we trust them in the next war they ask to go to? What well, You know, we you have to fix these things.
0: Up. Um, just quickly, what about um, Wayne Map? You know, he, Defence Minister at the time, he's come out and said that there were um, you know there were some civilian casualties. Um, you know, he he a member of the National Party, like I said, a defence minister at at the time, and why can someone so prominent at the time come out and say this, and yet still, um, you know, even even the public can be fooled by the government saying, well, there's nothing to see here.
1: Yeah, we said in the book that um, Wayne Mapp was the main person in government who really felt remorse about what had happened. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you read what we wrote there, but then he comes, as you say, he comes out in public to our absolute amazement and says, yes, this is right, and I feel bad about it, and there should be an inquiry. And you would think at that stage that the government would say, he was the minister in charge. We can hardly say that there's nothing going on here. That's right. And, the, and then they said there was nothing going on here. So it is the most astonishing situation at the moment. There's this, It's just not adding up. <laughs> it's not. And, I, and, and you don't find many people in the media who believe them. I, don't think, I think there's lots of... Some people probably line up on political grounds or something. Yeah. But I, most, I think, most people should be thinking, surely there must be something to this, and we need to sort it out. That's what I think. That's where I think we are at the moment.
0: Yeah. Well, what, what do you th- do? You think if we have a change of government, maybe um, Labour will look into, or whoever. Labour.
1: For... Labour has said that they'll do that, but in fact, there are other things happening. Like there might be a court case on behalf of the villagers that's being organised. What Auckland I don't know what stage that's.
0: at. Yes, of course. Of course. I.
1: I my feeling is that potential war crimes, and irrespective of the criminality of it, just New Zealand's reputation and and our decency and our honour, mean that this has got to be sorted out, and I believe it will be sorted out. I think that they're wriggling and squirming, but in the end, there's no getting away from this, and it will have to be sorted out.
0: That's right. Well, like you said at the beginning, you know, we went into that province and we talked about rebuilding. We talked about sending in construction teams, and we did the same. You know, when we started, when we went into Iraq, that's why we were going in there. Um, yeah. A, 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 and to have this to happen um, is a great shame, and um, to not acknowledge it just adds to the shame.
1: That's right. And again, not against the soldiers, there yeah. would be no book, there would be no story, if was it wasn't for the fact that there are real New Zealand people who are involved in this, including a new one who contacted me this week, who I had never heard from before, another SCS person, who don't feel good about this. Mm-hmm. Don't feel good. This isn't what they joined the military for. And the way you sort this out, you know, as we learn from primary school on, is that you front up yeah. and you sort it out, you don't give silly excuses and hope it goes away.
0: Yeah. I like that you're um, talking about not putting this on the troops themselves, because there is a chain of command. Yeah, uh, of and, course. Yeah. And, and
1: there's, ad- there's admirable people there. And we know, because we're working with them, that there's people there who have got exactly the same ethics as someone who doubts the war or someone who's in the war but they don't like what happened there, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Nikki. your talk is tonight um, at the Hutton Theatre at the 7.30 through to 8.30. It's a conversation with you, co-author of Hidden Run. Uh, it's being emceed by the wonderful Professor Kevin Clements, been on the show many times, he's fantastic Um, and I I guess uh, you'll be taking questions as well tonight? I hope so. The more, the better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. So it might it might go for a little bit longer than eight thirty, perhaps. So, so there were a lot of questions to ask. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on the show this morning. It's it's been a pleasure having you here. I've always wanted to have you on my show. You come on Radio One quite a bit, but you always get snapped up by the others. And finally, it was my turn. Um, so thank you so much. Um, I, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's horrible that you have to write this book, but um, it's wonderful that you have. And I um, I highly admire and respect you. So um, thank you for, once again for coming on the show. Thank you.
1: Thank you for